0: Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for tuning in. You are listening to Fiskamall, your weekly consistency check on America's political and legal file systems. I am your host, T. Greg Doucette, recording from my apartment, La Chateau T-Dot, on the southwest corner of Durham, North Carolina. Someone on Twitter gave me a hard time about the weekly part in the tagline, I'm keeping it, even though we have been gone for the better part of a month. Uh, Folks asked where I went. And the answer is I never really went anywhere. I've still been here. It's just that the, uh, you remember all that free time I mentioned in the last episode where I was going to have like, you know, the entire month of November was just wide open and I was going to have weekends upon weekends of free time. Uh, that was misguided on my part because basically my law firm ended up being in total disarray. I uh, I actually stayed home during the Thanksgiving holiday, had Thanksgiving by myself, because I had two cases the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, had a brief due uh, afterwards, and it was all just a mess. So I have not had time to produce the podcast like I should because doing the outline takes, you know, it usually takes about eight hours of actual like concentration each week. And then there's the hassle of sound editing because, of course, Mike the Sound Guy is still not here if you didn't notice. Um, He has moved back with his parents. He's working remotely for his job. We think we're going to be able to work out a situation where he does the sound editing again soon. We won't have the studio in essence, but I'll still go through uploading the files on Dropbox so he can fix them instead of me fixing them because sound editing has replaced debugging as the number one computer science thing that I despise. I actually back during the uh, the elections back in the beginning of November we recorded a special episode with Dave and James that we were going to upload for our patrons on Patreon and the had the hold up why it's not been posted yet has been me trying to edit it because it's it trying to edit and synchronize three tracks is a tremendous pain in the ass there's technically five tracks but i don't count the first two cuz the first one is the intro and outro music and then the second one is me doing the intro and outro to the interview. But then you got the three tracks of me and Dave and James. And, you know, for example, if, if there's a spot in there where James just like spaced out for a solid 15 seconds. Well, to cut that, I've also got to cut the same span of time from mine and from Dave's and, you know, take my mouse cursor and, and drag it around so that everything is still synchronized. Long story short, it's a pain in the ass. I hate it. It's still not done. I'm, I'm hoping to get it done this week because the patrons deserve something. Uh, the commentary, although slightly stale is Dave and James. So it's like evergreen. So we're working on it, but long story short, I'm trying to beg and plead with Mike to figure out something where I'm not having to do this because I hate it passionately. Um, as far as podcast updates, as I mentioned, we're working to get back into the swing of things. Um, Beyond that, continue sending me your stuff. I I do, even though I have been missing from the podcast as people send me tweets and direct messages, I do take the stories and throw them into my notes. So I've not totally been gone, even though you have not been getting episodes. And then in not quite podcast notes, but sort of our fourth annual uh, food raiser that I do each year for the uh, elementary school kids is going to happen on December 14th. So almost two weeks from now slightly less, but put that down in your calendars as a note to monitor my Twitter space uh, when that happens because our goal, I think, is $2,700-ish. It's about what we raised last year. I'm not trying to increase it because we already have like – so it used to be the first two years we did it, I was able to transport the food on my own. Uh, And then last year, we ended up like double where I expected us to be. So I had to get someone else. We actually had to have two entire SUVs to transport all of the food to the school. Uh, So I would love to do that again. I just don't want to do more than that, because if we end up over that, I don't know if I'm going to be able to find enough people to commit to transporting stuff, so just know December fourteenth. It's a Friday. Mark your calendars. Be on Twitter. We're trying to raise twenty seven hundred ish dollars that we're going to use to buy a metric fuck ton of food for a whole bunch of elementary school kids. Uh, okay, so if you have not already done so. Please join the conversation online. The Twitter account for the podcast is at Fiskamall. That is at F-S-C-K-E-M-A-L-L. If you want to leave us a written comment, you can do that on our website, Fiskamall.com. That is F-S-C-K-E-M-A-L-L.com. And if you would like to become one of our patrons, you can do that on Patreon.com slash Fisk. That is Patreon.com slash F-S-C-K. I would love for you to do that. But if you want to wait, that's fine, too, because I committed to folks that when we get to 150 patrons, I would start doing two episodes a week. And the thought of that right now, frankly, terrifies me until Mike and I figure out what we're going to do as far as recording goes. Uh, But just know it's there. All right. So as far as political news, we've been gone for a while. I'm not going to go into too much because the episode with Dave and James covers the election results when that comes out. As far as recent developments, Uh, Jim Comey, the former director of the FBI, was subpoenaed again. Uh, He filed a lawsuit trying to quash or block the subpoena. And a lot of people asked, you know, if it was, if his lawsuit was as ridiculous as it sounded. And the answer was, it depends. So if the goal was to actually stop the subpoena, yeah, it is kind of ridiculous because precedent favors Congress. The courts don't really get involved in subpoena fights. Uh, But the argument, in my mind, wasn't to actually stop the subpoena it was trying to provide leverage in negotiation with the house And I think that's what happened, because just before I've started recording this, uh, they actually made an announcement that there's been a compromise, that Comey will testify. It will be in closed session, uh, but he's allowed to talk when he's done, and they're going to make transcripts available within 24 hours or so. So we'll see how that turns out. Interesting story in North Carolina is that our newest Congress critter elect, Republican Reverend Mark Harris... uh, engaged in voter fraud. It's pretty clear at this point. He hired a guy in Bladen County, North Carolina, which separate and apart from that has some history as far as electoral corruption goes. Uh, but this guy got people to go door to door and take unfinished absentee ballots from black voters. And so like, if you voted for the sheriff and that was it, they would take your ballot and then fill out the rest of it for Harris and then mail it in. And if you would already completed the ballot, say you voted for uh, Dan McCready, who was his Democratic opponent, we don't technically know what happened to those ballots, but the number of ballots that had not been returned uh, approached 65 to 80 percent in this particular congressional district when the statewide average was closer to about 10 percent. Because if you go through the hassle of requesting an absentee ballot, there's a pretty high likelihood you're going to send it back. Well, that total amount of fuckery, so the fucked up ballots plus the missing ballots, uh, is basically more than double the margin of victory. So the State Board of Elections has refused to certify the outcome. We don't really know what's going to happen. Uh, There's no legal basis to give McCready the seat, so that's not going to happen. As far as options go, we could have another election, The House, because the Constitution provides that the House determines the qualifications of their own members, the House could just seat Harris anyway. Uh, But it's interesting that as much as Republicans talk about voter fraud, this is probably going to be one of the most serious cases of it. And it's a Republican pastor who's been doing it. Really sketchy shit. Uh, So that's it for politics. In terms of court stuff, I don't have any substantive cases here recently. But in general research news, we've got two spots. Uh, There's an analysis that has been done by a website called The Trace, which is basically a nonprofit media organization focusing on gun-related stories. And what they have found is that police lose a shitload of weapons. So from the story, it says, quote, investigators were scouring the scene of a 2015 shooting in southwest Baltimore when they found a blood covered Glock pistol on the ground behind a row house. A ballistics analysis determined the gun had been used in the attack, which killed a 23 year old man and injured a 93 year old woman whose head was grazed by a stray bullet. The Glock was a big break for investigators in the case. But a check of its serial number led to a chilling revelation. The gun belonged to one of their own. Two months earlier, a Baltimore police officer had reported the pistol stolen from his car. Hashtag fourth rule of Fisk. The Wire was a documentary. A story continues, quote, "...such thefts are not uncommon." The trace examined records from more than 100 law enforcement agencies and found that they had collectively reported the loss or theft of at least 1,781 guns between 2008 and 2017. So you're averaging 178 guns missing per year just from these 100 agencies. The vast majority were department-issued handguns, but the count also included hundreds of rifles and shotguns, as well as four fully automatic machine guns. The firearms were stolen out of glove boxes and closets, left in airports and on the roofs of cars, and in one case forgotten in a high school bathroom. Some were later involved in crimes, ranging from aggravated assault to homicide. The Trace's investigation drew on thousands of pages of police reports, internal memos, inventory logs, and policy manuals from local and state law enforcement departments in 29 states and the District of Columbia, as well as from two federal agencies, Immigration and Customs Enforcement and the Drug Enforcement Administration. While the records covered just a sliver of the nearly 18 1,000 law enforcement agencies in the United States, the findings demonstrate that vague rules and haphazard security practices have resulted in guns flowing to the very criminals that officers are meant to contain. That is crazy to me. So keep in mind, again, this is only from 100 law enforcement agencies out of roughly 18,000. So you do the math. So I'll give you a link to the story. It goes into a lot more detail from there. Pretty scary shit. Uh, A new study is out basically saying that adding more police to schools does not help as far as crime prevention goes, and it focuses on North Carolina as its data set. From that story, it says, quote, "...a new report looking at security in North Carolina schools is challenging the belief that putting more police officers in schools will make them safer." The study of North Carolina middle schools found no relationship between increased funding for school resource officers and reduction in cases of reported school crimes. Kenneth Alonzo Anderson, the reports author and an associate professor at Howard University, said legislators across the country should consider the findings before rushing to put more police officers in schools following the mass acts of violence, such as the school shooting incident in Parkland, Florida, amid the push for more SRO funding. Anderson looked at what happened after North Carolina lawmakers provided more funding for school resource officers in elementary and middle schools in 2013, following the Sandy Hook elementary school shooting in Connecticut. Anderson has familiarity with the state since he received his Ph.D. at NC State University. That's my alma mater, by the way. Hashtag go pack and taught at Durant Road Middle School in Raleigh. Anderson compared schools in the North Carolina districts that received additional SRO funding with those that did not get the extra money. He found no relationship between increased funding and reductions in the 16 disciplinary acts that must be reported to the state. I'm going to do a note here, because a cop was going back and forth with me on Twitter saying that I didn't understand the study, which I'm going to give you a link to, by the way, uh, claiming that the study was only looking at funding which is true in a sense, but the funding was required to be used to hire police officers. So the extra funding is a proxy. If you get an extra $60,000, that's an extra 1.5 officers, give or take a few. Uh, So just kind of know that even though it's talking about funding, it's really talking about bodies in schools. Uh, Story continues, quote, but Anderson found that schools that were smaller or had higher academic achievement, had less school crime. Anderson said that his findings should be considered along with other research, which has found that some students don't feel safe even though school resource officers are present. And here's the funny part. Mo Kennedy, who is the executive director of the National Association of School Resource Officers, said that school resource officers play an invaluable role in deterring school crime. He said the study's findings go against logic and common sense and how people react around police. Subquote, when people see a police officer, most people are going to go away, Kennedy said. They're not going to want to do a crime and get arrested. You know, it's funny because conservatives and Republicans in particular like to talk about the Ben Shapiro facts don't care about your feelings But you notice the police folks get really sensitive when you tell them that the data basically says they're not actually useful when it comes to reducing crime. Uh, So I'll give you a link to both the story and the study itself. Feel free to go through it. Uh, In the state-by-state criminal justice fuckery, we've got a lot of it this week. Uh, We'll start in Alabama, in Etowah where we have a long read in the UK Guardian on a particular ICE facility where uh, guards just sell contraband and commit crimes willy-nilly. From that story, it says, quote, Housed in the Gadsden County Jail since the late 1990s, the gray slab of concrete that is the Etowah Detention Center is routinely identified by lawyers, advocates, and detainees as one of the worst ICE facilities in the entire United States. It has one of the longest detention times of all ICE facilities. The all-male facility, housing on average 300 detainees, according to ICE data, ranks sixth in the highest number of calls made to the ICE detention reporting and information line related to sexual and physical abuse incidents, according to a study from Freedom for Immigrants. Human Rights Watch documented the, subquote, spotty access to health care at Etowah. A Kenyan asylum seeker, Sylvester Owaino, arrived at Edowan in 2013 after being in ICE custody for more than seven years in California and Arizona. Let me pause. It is insane to me that immigration processing can take that long for what is really a, a simple thing. It's absurd that we're keeping people locked up without having them convicted of any crimes for seven years because the bureaucracy is taking its sweet ass time to decide if someone should be allowed to have asylum or not. Uh, Story continues, quote, as a prolonged detainee, little should have surprised the Kenyan asylum seeker about his latest detention center. But things were done differently in rural Alabama. In his first weeks, he noticed officers manning the detention facility were selling contraband to detainees. They would sell vodka and plastic water bottles for $50. Weed in letter-sized white envelopes for $400. Cell phones went for $300. Officers sold a pack of cigarettes for $100. And then there were the bribes. One day, an officer approached a wino telling him he didn't have lunch and asking a wino to make him something to eat. So the detainee used the ramen noodles he had bought through the commissary and mixed it with tuna for the officer. Subquote, you share the food, so they gave you privileges. So instead of being locked down, they let you out. You give him honey buns, you make him coffee. With his budget noodle offering, Awino said he was able to watch a soccer game. And it goes on from there, It's some pretty crazy shit. Uh, out of California, we, we got a lot, you know, here's the thing. And you're going to notice this with these stories. It fascinates me that California is not more bankrupt than it is, because some of these stories are bonkers, absolutely bonkers. So we're going to start in Chula Vista, which I've never heard of, did not know this was an actual place, where the police chief wrote an editorial complaining about how little time they had to do police work. And it turns out, Both the police chief and several of the officers spend their state time planning private fundraisers. From that story, it says, quote, the Chula Vista Police Department has acknowledged it has a difficult time responding quickly to life and death emergencies. But department officials apparently had no trouble spending many hours of the business day over a period of months. Planning for a private police fundraising gala. Police Chief Roxana Kennedy and other top police traded emails during the first half of 2018 over seating arrangements, printing brochures, renting sound equipment, arranging rides, and selecting an event host. The city paid out $10,526 in overtime to officers who worked the gala on July 30th. Kennedy and the others also spent considerable time emailing wealthy individuals and private companies seeking donations. Some of those companies, including developer Baldwin & Sons, have business with the city. In an opinion piece for the Union Tribune in May, Kennedy lamented Chula Vista's understaffed police department and noted, "...officers are so busy responding to crimes that they have little time to proactively prevent them." Here's the deal. you stop spending time on the galas, you can start proactive policing. So that's in Chula Vista. Out of Concord, speaking of wastes of money... The Concord Police Department dropped thirty-four grand on another one of these stupid lip-sync videos. From that story, it says, quote, The Concord Police Department released the latest lip-sync and dance video on Thursday to the hit song, Londo. Concord Police reportedly brought in a professional film and production company to film the video and were joined by the Monument Crisis Center and members of the community. According to Captain Roche, the video was shot over a two-day period in early October at a cost of $34,000. Roche explained a majority of the filming was done on day one, and more of the police vehicles driven around occurred on day two. Roche says the funds were used from non-general fund money and instead from funds they acquired from drug dealers, where police get a portion back of the money they seize in an arrest and seizures. We call that civil asset forfeiture, by the way, and we'll talk about that there in a second. Uh, Roche says it was decided they would spend the funds on something for the community. They worked with Monument Crisis Center, who picked out the song because 25% of Concord is Hispanic. Here's a couple things here. One is this notion of using civil asset forfeiture money to fund whatever pet shit they want. Uh, Civil asset forfeiture should be unconstitutional. Hopefully the Supreme Court will go that way with it soon. We've talked about its abuses repeatedly in several episodes. But regardless, once it's in the possession of the police department, that's functionally taxpayer money. Doesn't matter if you took it from a drug dealer or not. You need to be using that for you know, public purposes instead of this silly self promotional bullshit. But the part that made me laugh is this statement that they would spend the funds on something for the community. You want to spend it on the community. Why not just give it to the monument crisis center that you partnered with? You know what they could do with $34,000? Holy shit. They would serve the community because that's what nonprofits do. It's so stupid. It's fantastically stupid, but that is out of Concord in Los Angeles. A high-ranking LAPD chief uh, was accused of having improper sexual relationships with officers under his command, and then he magically resigned. Uh, Chief Jorge Villegas, a 29-year veteran of the department, was referred to the Internal Affairs Unit for an investigation this month, uh, and then he just randomly decided he was going to retire to focus on the family business. We'll give you a link to that story out of los angeles county so not the city we're talking about the los angeles county sheriff's office now we have the third rule of fisk there are no new stories just new names and jurisdictions a los angeles county sheriff's sex crimes investigator has been charged with raping and tying up a 14 year old girl he met as part of his job that is so gross you meet a victim and you decide to tie her up and rape her that's beyond fucked up Neil David Kimball appearing in a Ventura County courthouse, was also charged with dissuading a witness by force or threat. The deputy is accused of trying to intimidate the girl from reporting the crime. The charges include a special circumstance allegation that the victim was bound. Kimball pleaded not guilty. The alleged attack took place in November, 2017 in Ventura County. According to prosecutors, Kimball 45 could face 19 years to life in prison. If convicted of the crimes, the 20 year department veteran was taken. Taken into custody after a month long investigation, he was relieved of duty with pay. We call that paid vacation after the department's internal criminal investigations bureau began looking into a complaint about him by a member of the public. This is so, this reminds me of the reason why we put this as the third rule. You might remember in one of our earlier episodes, we talked about an NYPD sex crimes investigator who spent his career committing sex crimes. I'll give you a link to that old episode in the show notes. But this is just so fucked up. So this guy meets a victim, rapes her, then gets paid vacation as the prosecution is going on. It it is bonkers. California is bonkers. But we're not done because we have another one where this story is also bonkers. In Trinity County... A sheriff has disappeared, but he's still getting paid. From that story, it says, A Northern California sheriff has apparently abandoned his job and moved to another state while still collecting his salary. A Sacramento Bee investigation has found... For months, Trinity County Sheriff Bruce Haney has been living nearly full time six hours away i shouldn't laugh this is ridiculous. six hours away from the jurisdiction where he was elected in twenty ten according to interviews and records obtained by the beat. Haney, for much of 2018, has frequently been at an Oregon home he purchased last year, according to a nearby resident and Trinity County officials. Despite what appears to be periods of long-term absences in Trinity, Haney has continued to collect his salary and benefits. Trinity County pay records show Haney has received gross pay of more than $9,000 a month. With benefits and other pay, Haney earns about $160,000 annually. According to the California government salary website, Transparent California, you know, nice work if you can get it, you know what I mean? Crooked as shit, but nice to get paid without having to do your job. Uh, so that's out of California in Florida. We have good news. Don't let it be said. I don't report good news. At a Biscayne Park, former police chief Raimondo Ateziano has been sentenced to three years in federal prison. You might remember that name because we have talked about this department in episode 72, 76, 77, 79, and 82. These were the ones that made a habit of framing innocent black people for crimes so they could pad their arrest statistics. So they were all charged, the chief and several of the officers in the department. From the story, it says, quote, Raimondo Atesiano, the former Biscayne Park police chief who directed his officers to frame innocent black men for a series of unsolved burglaries, admitted he wanted to appease community leaders and polish the village's property crimes record. Even in a small village of about 3,000 residents... God, I'm trying not to gag as I read this. The pressure was just too much, he said. Subquote, when I took the job, I was not prepared. I made some very, very bad decisions. Ateziano told a federal judge on Tuesday his apologies did not sway U.S. District Judge K. Michael Moore, who on Tuesday sentenced the 53-year-old former cop to three years in federal prison. He allowed Ateziano to remain free for two weeks before surrendering so that he can care for his mother, who is dying of leukemia. Good fucking written to Chief Eteziano. Uh, out of Miami, we have the first rule of Fisk. Police will continue to do dumb shit even when they are being recorded. In this case, a Miami police officer was recording himself throwing Jewish scripture in the trash and then talking about it. From that story it says, quote, a city of Miami police sergeant is in hot water after a video surfaced of him tossing Jewish religious scripture and using some choice words to describe it. The video shows Roberto DeStefan tossing the Tanakh, or the Hebrew Bible, and a wooden box engraved with the Star of David into a truck bed. Subquote, we don't need this shit either, man, he says in the video, tossing the box and then the book into the truck bed. This crap, fuck this, taking out the trash, dog. DeStefan is also the vice president of Miami's Fraternal Order of Police. The FOP released a statement Friday claiming the video was doctored and used as blackmail. That's fascinating to me. You know, it's still the guy's voice. He still said it. And he said it at the time he's doing it. So I don't know what the fuck was doctored about it. Uh, Story continues. Miami Police Chief Jorge Colina said Stefan is suspended pending an open internal affairs investigation. We will see how that goes. Out of Georgia. So we got some fun stuff happening in the town of Brooklyn, Georgia. Uh, this is actually five stories that were condensed into two Because the Brooklyn PD is getting the shit suit out of it by a whole bunch of different people. Uh, So from two different stories that I've kind of glommed together into one long thing, I'm going to quote you some snippets of a bunch of these lawsuits. It says, quote, A lawsuit against the city of Brooklyn and three former police officers was filed in Bullock County State Court on Monday. Records show... All on Georgia, that's the name of the particular news outlet that's been obtaining these documents, uh, obtained the lawsuits which named the city of Brooklyn, former officers John Baker, Charles Dutton, and Melissa Rogers, as well as John Doe's 1-3 through in a civil suit. The suit alleges instances of sexual assault and battery and harassment by one of the defendants and claims the former officers removed cameras from the plaintiff's property. Basically, you read through this complaint. And what happens is this woman was admitted to the hospital because she was having a mental health episode. Uh, John Baker, who was one of the officers, turned off his body cam and groped her under her hospital gown, then started stalking her. So she put up these cameras at her house to keep an eye on the fact that this police officer was stalking her. And the other officers in the department came to her home, of course, are on camera and took the cameras down. So that's the first of these different lawsuits. Uh, A separate news article says, quote, four more people have filed lawsuits against the city of Brooklyn and a number of officers previously employed with the Brooklyn Police Department. Among the lawsuits, all of which were filed just before the Thanksgiving holiday, you have the first one is Cindy Lee. Uh, Lee was the first publicly reported incident involving Dutton, Baker, and Meyer, who is the police chief, in a two-day incident that went viral on social media after Meyer was shown on camera demanding Lee leave City Hall when she went to file a complaint on Baker and Dutton. Meyer is heard on camera telling Lee, subquote, in the future, we will not have any mercy or toleration for y'all's constant breaking of the law and blaming it on the police department. Leave the building." All on Georgia also published the body camera footage that showed Councilman Bill Griffith taking Lee's complaint about Meyer, Baker, and Dutton on speakerphone in the presence of all three officers, an incident reporting claiming disorderly conduct was ultimately filed against Lee. Lee's suit alleges that the defendant's, subquote, actions were a pervasive and sustained attempt to prevent plaintiff from petitioning the government in redress of grievances and to intimidate her from speaking out against the bullying conduct by the defendants. Uh, In addition, Lee claims false imprisonment for her traffic stop and cites retaliatory efforts in claiming she acted in a disorderly manner while trying to make that complaint. Uh, You also have Austin Donaldson and Richard Donaldson, Uh, the Donaldson case was among the earlier incidents reported by All on Georgia and stemmed from an incident at the Brooklyn Peanut Festival when the wife of Lawrence Norville Douglas Meyer III, that is the police chief that Meyer we referenced in the prior story, uh, the wife, who is not a police officer, detained a business owner trying to get to his business during the parade. Baker later arrived to assist with the detention and ultimately allowed Donaldson to leave the scene. But Myers sent a letter in the days following the incident after Donaldson's public complaints on social media, threatening Donaldson to stop badmouthing the police or he would face citations. Donaldson was ultimately cited for speaking out against the police. Uh, subquote, furthermore, if you insist on taking every opportunity to continue badmouthing this agency and its officers, then I can only conclude that you are still resistant and we will issue citations for the aforementioned violations, Meyer wrote in a letter which is linked below. Uh, Donaldson's case claims the officers conspired to fabricate documents against the Donaldsons, used color of law in an unconstitutional manner, and claimed the city had an unconstitutional policy of allowing the police to intimidate citizens. Exercising free speech. Uh, We also have a lawsuit by Brian Price, the fifth person to sue. Uh, Price's incident was uh, with Brooklyn PD was reported in part three of the series that All on Georgia did about the Brooklyn Police Department. Also involved Officer Dutton and Baker, and this time in regard to a traffic stop and involved Chief Meyer after a follow-up. An arrest warrant was taken out on Price after he complained about his roadside interaction with two officers. Meyer was later recorded on body camera footage saying he would drop the charges if Price wrote a public apology and, subquote, took the monkey off the back of the police department, which had been publicly criticized. Meyer also referred to Officer Baker as a, subquote, loose cannon in his meeting with Price, which is also on body camera. The charges were never dropped by Meyer, and Price had to work his way through the justice system where his charges were ultimately dismissed. The lawsuit by Price claims Brooklyn police tried to unconstitutionally compel Price to admit wrongdoing by demanding he pen a letter of apology and that reports and claims were fabricated in government documents and that Price was falsely characterized. My God, there's a lot of stuff going on with the Brooklyn Police Department. If you happen to be a citizen there... Uh, They're going to be paying a lot of money out to settle these lawsuits, so I apologize in advance for your wallet. Uh, In Gwinnett County, Georgia, we have the first rule of Fisk again. This time, when I talk about there's a lot of lawsuits, there's a lot of fucking lawsuits. There are 87 different inmates who have now filed suit over the county jail. So from that story, it says, quote, the controversy surrounding Gwinnett County's jail rapid response team just got a lot bigger. 75 current and former inmates filed suit this week against Sheriff Butch Conway and Lieutenant Colonel Carl Sims, complaining they were exposed to gratuitous pain. That's in addition to an earlier lawsuit filed by 12 other inmates. A federal grand jury is also investigating possible criminal wrongdoing and the way inmates are treated. One of the plaintiffs in the latest lawsuit is 26-year-old Shelby Clark. According to the lawsuit, Clark suffers from mental health issues. Deputies reported that she refused their commands to stop banging her head against the cell wall. Video of the encounter, shot by deputies, show members of the rapid response team rushing in to grab her. One of the RRT members, Aaron Masters, strikes Clark multiple times in her face. The encounter left her eye badly bruised, along with one of her arms and she now has partial vision loss. Deputy Masters resigned after being arrested on one count of battery, Clark's lawsuit complains she and the other 74 inmates were subjected to, subquote, unreasonable, unnecessary, and gratuitous pain, even though they were, subquote, not posing a threat to the safety of themselves or others. The inmates planned to use the sheriff's own videos to show, just like the original plaintiffs, that they were calm and compliant in the minutes leading up to the rapid response team's rush into their cell. Some would be forced to sit in a restraint chair for hours, unable to move or use the Toilet, And this is why I say record everything. Every single movement of a jailer should be recorded because this type of abuse happens a lot. So those are the stories in Georgia out of Maryland in Prince George's County. A Prince George's County police officer has been arrested on rape charges after he targeted a woman living in the United States illegally and raped her after a traffic stop. From that story, it says, quote, Officer First Class Ryan Macklin, a six-year veteran of the department, was arrested on charges including rape and assault. Chief Hank Stowinski announced... The officer has been suspended without pay. The woman told police the officer pulled her over about one o'clock in the morning on University Boulevard. Then she said he forced her to perform a sex act in her car in a nearby parking lot. She is an undocumented immigrant. It's unclear why Officer Macklin was in District 1 in Langley Park the night of the crime. He was assigned to District 3 miles away in Palmer Park. Macklin was named, this is a twist, Macklin was named a Patrol Officer of the Month. Back in March of 2014, he had conducted a traffic stop and found a handgun, a police blog says, and now he's a rapist. And you'll notice he targeted someone who was undocumented because those are the folks least likely to call police because they're going to be afraid of being deported. It's part of why we need to figure out how to fix the immigration system. You're creating a class of victims who can be abused by authorities. Uh, So that's in Maryland. Out of Mississippi... In Olive Branch, there was a story back during the elections where a guy was at the polls wearing a shirt with a Confederate flag and a noose and the text Miami, uh, Mississippi Justice on it. Well, it turns out. This guy is a cop, or was a cop. He's actually a nurse this time. Uh, From that story, it says, quote, A Memphis hospital has fired an employee who was recorded in a viral photo wearing a T-shirt with a noose and a Confederate flag to the polls in Mississippi. Another voter at the polling station in Olive Branch shared a photo of the man, identified by WREG as Clayton Hickey, wearing the shirt, which read, Mississippi Justice. On Thursday, Regional One Health in Memphis confirmed the man in the photo was an employee at the hospital and that he had been fired after a thorough investigation. Here's where it gets a little disturbing further on in the story. It's, subquote, he's nice as far as I have seen, one of Hickey's neighbors told WREG. He came out and helped me do some stuff. I don't think he's wanting to start trouble. He just gets caught in a lot of trouble. Well, what does that mean? The story tells you, quote, The neighbor, who didn't want to be identified, was apparently referring to an incident years ago when Hickey resigned from the Memphis Police Department. He was caught in a car with a 17-year-old girl and alcohol. I really don't know why we have so many kitty diddlers on police forces around the country. It doesn't make any sense. But that guy has now been fired from his job as a nurse after resigning from his job as a police officer. And none of us are really surprised that's the type of shirt that he would wear. So out of Missouri, we have the fifth rule of Fisk. When people say blue lives matter, they don't mean the dark blue ones. Uh, But we're going to count this as good news. So don't let it be said that I don't report good news because four St. Louis Metropolitan Police Department officers have been federally indicted for beating an undercover cop during the uh, Shockley or Stockley, whatever the hell the guy's name is, the protest last year, and then all four of the officers covered it up. So three did the beating, but a fourth one helped to cover it up. And if you want to go back for some context, we first talked about this way back in episode 28, and then we had a follow-up in episode 33 and another follow-up in episode 39. Uh, From the story, it says, quote, four St. Louis police officers were indicted Thursday on federal charges claiming that three of them beat an undercover colleague during protests last year and all four of them covered it up, federal prosecutors say. The indictment also claims that several of the officers exchanged messages that, subquote, expressed disdain for protesters and, subquote, excitement about using unjustified force against them and going undetected while doing so. I going to pause. I'm going to read you some of those texts at the end of this particular story, so stick around. story continues. Quote, Prosecutors allege that officers Dustin Boone, Randy Hayes, and Christopher Myers threw a 22-year police veteran to the ground and kicked and hit him with a police baton on September 17th of 2017 amid protests downtown that followed the acquittal of former killer cop officer Jason Stockley. I inserted the killer cop. That's not actually in the story. Don't get mad at them. That's just... My particular uh, verbiage He's the guy who shot and killed Anthony Lamar Smith by the way Uh, Story continues quote they believed the undercover Officer was a protester and assaulted Him sub quote while he was compliant And not posing a physical threat to Anyone the indictment says Officer Bailey Coletta is accused Of lying to a federal grand jury Investigating the incident All four of the accused officers are members Of the St. Louis Police Officers Association Which is providing them with legal Representation After learning that the person they attacked was an undercover officer, the three male officers lied about the arrest, claiming the man resisted arrest and was not compliant. They also tried to contact the undercover officer to dissuade him from pursuing disciplinary or legal action. The undercover officer is identified only by the initials LH. The age, gender, and initials match only one officer, Luther Hall. Hall was working undercover, aiding other officers in identifying criminal activity. I'm going to note, Luther Hall is also black. The story continues. At the time of the assault, police sources said Hall suffered just a bloody lip during the arrest— Uh, But sources close to Hall said Thursday that the injuries from the assault were much more extensive. He has not been able to return to work a year later. Hall was kicked in the face, which inflamed his jaw muscles to the point where he could not eat. He went from 185 pounds down to 165. The cut above his lip was a two centimeter hole that went through his face. He also sustained an injury to his tailbone, which still causes him pain. And in October, he underwent surgery to repair two herniated discs in his his neck and one in his back. He is still wearing a collar to keep his neck immobile. That's how St. Louis police treat one of their own officers. But let's read through some of these text messages. So these are in the indictment, and we've got several of them from the night of the protests. So you've got the protests stretched past midnight. So 9:15 and 9:16 is all protest stuff. And then messages over the ensuing days. Here are some samples. Several of these are from Officer Dustin Boone. Uh, Quote, "...it's going to get ignorant tonight, but it's going to be a lot of fun beating the hell out of these shitheads once the sun goes down and nobody can tell us apart." I'm on Sergeant Redacted's arrest team. Me and a big old black dude are the guys that are hands-on. No stick or shield. Just fuck people up when they don't act right. That's my dude today. Ha ha, he's basically a thug that's on our side. It's he and I that just grab fuckers and toss them around. We really need these fuckers to start acting up so we can have some fun. Uh, Separate text later on. This shit is crazy, but it's fucking awesome, in all caps. Except for cops getting hurt, people on the streets got fucked up, all caps. LOL. Uh, He goes further on. I just deployed to U-City. You will see the real police come in and clear these fuckers real quick. We ain't fucking with them tonight. There's a separate text exchange where one officer asks him if he was doing okay with the idiots. He responds, yeah, a lot of cops getting hurt, but it's still a blast beating people that deserve it. And I'm not one of the people hurt, so I'm still enjoying each night. Uh, We reloading these fools up on prisoner buses as they got on. We all said in unison, our streets, ha ha. Uh, Later on, the problem is when they start acting like fools, we start beating the shit out of everyone on the street. Did everyone see the protesters getting fucked up in the Galleria? That was awesome. And then there's another exchange later on where Officer Hayes says, it's extremely frustrating, but you'll eat yourself up inside if you don't just let it go and deal with it when it comes. And this one is easy because we both are good. Going rogue does feel good, but I've been elected to be the driver of a Tahoe. So if I get involved tonight, shit has hit the fan. Boone responds, well, fuck, LOL. I should probably stay in check as well. And then Hayes says, remember, we are in South City. They support us, but also cameras, so make sure you have an old white dude as a witness, so they know how racism works to their benefit. That is your St. Louis Metropolitan Police Department, and you see why they were put under a consent decree by the federal government that your former Attorney General, Jefferson Beauregard Sessions third. Uh, tried to basically defang and make it so it wouldn't apply anymore. So that's out of Missouri. In New Jersey, we got two stories. One is statewide, and it's good news. Don't let it be said that I don't report good news. NJ Advance Media, which is the company that runs NJ.com, has developed a comprehensive database of police use of force incidents for the state of New Jersey. From that story, it says, quote, Our work began in 2017 with a single police officer in central Jersey. The family of a 16 year old claimed in a Facebook post that a Carteret officer savagely beat their son after a brief car chase. They included photos of severe injuries to his face. Two days after reporter Craig McCarthy's story was published on NJ.com, Officer Joseph Ryman was charged with assault. He has pleaded not guilty. Could Carteret have known Ryman might be at risk of violent behavior? From the time Ryman was hired in 2015, the 50-person department logged 115 incidents in which an officer used force. Ryman accounted for 24 of them, more than one-fifth the entire department's total, and twice as many as the next officer. Carteret's civilian police commissioner said Ryman was simply a, subquote, proactive cop. But why didn't he raise red flags within the county prosecutor's office or the state attorney general's office, which are both responsible for overseeing local police? In truth, it could have been Carteret, Carl or Carney's Point. In the 17 years since the attorney general's office first required police to report when they use force in hopes of identifying problematic officers, departments, and trends, the system has been virtually ignored. It took a landmark New Jersey Supreme Court ruling 16 months ago to make these reports fully available to the public. To produce the force report, NJ Advance Media filed 506 public records requests and collected 72,607 use of force forms covering 2012 through 2016. They cover every municipal police department in New Jersey as well as the state police. The results are now available at nj.com force the most comprehensive statewide database of police force in the United States. This is fantastic because they're right. This is not something that's widely reported, widely tracked, certainly not widely uh, compiled. Uh, So this is really fantastic stuff for those of you that happen to live in New Jersey. Uh, Out of Newark, we also have good news. Don't let it be said I don't report good news. We have a lot of good news stories in this episode. Uh, A police officer has been sentenced to three and a half years for beating a guy with a flashlight. From that story, it says quote, Domenico Lillo, the disgraced ex cop who admitted to beating a man with a flashlight and then lying about it, stood in a federal courtroom Monday and apologized to just about everyone for his crimes, everyone except for the man on the receiving end of the violent outburst in 2013. Lillo, 48, was sentenced to three and a half years in federal prison by U.S. District Judge Kevin McNulty after previously pleading guilty to using excessive force during the December 27, 2013 arrest of Brandon Walsh. In an unrelated case, he also confessed to falsifying government records with the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development to help a relative obtain a $20,000 loan intended for low- to moderate-income residents. This guy really made criming an art form. Uh, story continues, quote, On his list of apologies, Lillo left out Walsh and members of his family, the victims of the attack who sued the city and were awarded $1.6 million. The family's federal lawsuit alleged Lillo and other officers unnecessarily and without warning, pepper sprayed them when they entered the house, causing everyone, including children, a disabled woman, and the family dog to become violently ill. The Jersey Journal sued the city for the terms of the confidential settlement, which were eventually released in March after a protracted legal battle. Let me do a separate sidebar. It is astonishing to me that government entities are able to have confidential settlements. That strikes me as something that just completely goes against how that's supposed to work. When you, as citizens, as taxpayers, are shoot, you know, you're supposed to be able to have oversight of your government. You can't do that if settlements are confidential. But anyhow, story continues. Before announcing the terms of Lillo's sentencing Monday, Judge McNulty told the courtroom that, Subquote, police are expected not to abuse their position in this manner. This was an assault on a helpless man by a police officer. This is a very serious offense indeed, from my point of view. No shit. So good riddance to that guy as he spends three and a half years in federal prison. Out of New York, we have a couple stories from New York City. Uh, The first one is the first rule of Fisk, but with a twist. So the first rule is police will continue to do dumb shit even when they're being recorded. Uh, This one is they're doing dumb shit because they're being recorded. An NYPD detective took another officer's body camera so he could shoot a video of his nuts. From the story, it says, quote, an NYPD detective has been suspended for using another cop's body camera to shoot an X-rated video of his private's. Detective Specialist Raymond Williams was suspended Thursday, law enforcement sources said. Williams waited until an unsuspecting cop went to the men's room at their bedsty Station house to snatch his colleague's body camera and put it to anatomical abuse. On October 2nd, Detective Williams, subquote, took possession of another member of the service's department-issued body camera and recorded a 32-second video consisting of him intentionally exposing his testicles while in the uh, precinct. Special Operations Office, according to police documents. The NYPD only found out when a woman civilian employee assigned to the legal bureau reviewing body camera footage spotted the clip. Subquote, so, the incident is under investigation, an NYPD spokesman said. Uh, also out of NYC, you have a, this is a weird corruption trial. I don't really get the full details, uh, but basically a particular guy, with the previous administration uh, Was crooked as shit And he's been indicted And there's a trial taking place right now And one of the witnesses Is a guy who basically confessed To bribing cops with prostitutes So that's where this story comes from It's the testimony in this corruption trial From that story it says quote, A confessed cop briber Testified Thursday That he plied NYPD officers With prostitutes on at least Three vacations John Rechnitz said that he hired call girls for cops on a trip to a college football game in Miami, as well as a trip to the Dominican Republic attended by the former head of the Correction Officers Union and the NYPD's former chief of department. The corrupt donor to Mayor Bill de Blasio squirmed on the stand in Manhattan federal court as he described encounters with prostitutes in addition to the notorious private flight to Las Vegas. Rechnitz said that keeping his experiences with call girls secret had been of utmost concern in 2016 when the Gifts for Favors scandal shook the upper ranks of the NYPD. But Susan Nishales, or Necheles, however you pronounce it, an attorney for Brooklyn businessman Jeremy Reichberg, forced Rechnitz to admit that he hired prostitutes as gifts to former Chief of Department Philip Banks and ex correction officers Benevolent Association President Norman Seabrook. Brook on a trip in late 2013 to the Dominican Republic. In January of 2013, Rechnitz took cops on a twenty thousand dollar private flight to Miami for the national championship game between Notre Dame and Alabama. Uh, now retired cop Eddie Gardner and ex NYPD deputy chiefs James McCarthy and Andrew Capel were on the plane as well. Flora Park Chief Stephen McAllister and Inspector Brian McGinn met them in the Sunshine State, and there they had a party with prostitutes. Fascinating stuff. Just know your NYPD leadership likes hookers, and they like getting bribed with them by rich people who then give money to the mayor, apparently. Crazy shit. Uh, Out of North Carolina, where our corruption is slightly more pedestrian, out of the town of Four Oaks, uh, we have a police chief being arrested for domestic violence. From that story, it says, quote, The police chief for Newton Grove, North Carolina, is facing domestic violence charges after Johnston County Sheriff's deputies arrested him. Everett Frankie Harrell grabbed his wife by the neck, police say. Harrell's wife was sitting in her van Wednesday afternoon on a phone call when her husband went outside their shared home and became agitated. Police said Harrell told his wife, I have guns, before making a gesture with his hand like a gun. Officers said the police chief then grabbed his wife by the neck. When Johnston County Sheriff's deputies showed up at the couple's home in Four Oaks, Harrell told officers, Big deal, that ain't no assault. As officers asked Harold to confirm his identity, he said, I'm the fucking chief. Deputies said they saw red marks on the wife's neck and she played them an audio recording from an earlier fight. Police said Harold decided to stop talking to officers and instead demanded a lawyer, smart guy, a little late, but smart. uh, When deputies handcuffed Harold, the Johnston County report says the chief told the deputies, God, keep in mind, he just said he wasn't going to talk. He was going to rely on his lawyer. The chief told the deputies, subquote, this is fucking bullshit. You're not looking after me. This is ridiculous. Good riddance to that guy. Uh, out of Wake County, we have good news again. Don't let it be said that I don't report good news. Uh, State Highway Patrol Trooper Brian Maynard pulled a family over for going 85 miles an hour in a 60 mile an hour zone. Well, it turns out the reason they were speeding is because the guy's wife was in labor and the baby was being born. So Maynard actually delivered a healthy baby girl on the side of the road. we will give you a link to the story. Congrats to the family and to uh, Officer Maynard for a job well done. Uh, Out of Texas, in Dallas, we have good news. I feel like I've turned this into the good news podcast. It's crazy. Uh, You might remember from episode 82, we talked about killer cop Amber Geiger who went into Botham Jean's apartment and shot him dead, even though he had been doing absolutely nothing wrong, well, she has been indicted for murder. From that story, it says, quote, A former Dallas police officer who walked into an unarmed man's apartment on September 6th and shot him while wearing her police uniform has been indicted on a charge of murder. The Dallas County Grand Jury began hearing the case against Amber Geiger on Monday. Geiger was originally charged with manslaughter and the shooting death of 26-year-old Botham Shem John. She was released from jail on a $300,000 bond about an hour after turning herself in. District Attorney Faith Johnson said that by 3 p.m., Geiger had turned herself back in on the murder charge. Her bond was transferred, and she has been released. Asked why the grand jury indicted Geiger on a murder charge, Johnson said, We presented the evidence and explained the law. She added that the law prohibits her from talking about the evidence presented to the grand jury. Kudos to this particular DA. Uh, As always, wake me up when there's an actual conviction. We'll see what happens. Uh, Out of Parker County, Texas, (laughs) this is a reminder that the initial narrative with these stories is usually bullshit, and you need to pay attention to what happens days or weeks later. Uh, From the story, it says, quote, The Parker County Sheriff's Office now believes the deputy who was shot while looking for an illegal hunter was injured by his own service weapon. Deputy Jarrett Turner was shot in the foot Monday evening. The Sheriff's Office calls it an accidental discharge from a backup pistol on the deputy. A landowner had called to report that someone set up a deer blind and was trespassing on his property. The 27-year-old deputy approached a tree where the owner said he thought the deer blind was located. He had a flashlight in one hand and one of his guns in the other. In video from his body camera, two shots can be heard as he approaches the tree. What follows are the hurried moments as the deputy tries to process what happened. But Sheriff Larry Fowler said a slug found at the scene Thursday came from the small caliber gun that was strapped to the deputy's leg. Test confirmed it's the same one that went through his foot, and the sheriff claims the pistol malfunctioned. Earlier this week, the sheriff called the shooting an ambush. He told Fox 4 he was confused and angry over the fact that someone would try to murder his deputy over a deer. There was a reward of up to $17,000 available for information. They rushed out of the story that it was an ambush, even though the actual facts were that the cop shot himself. So those are out of Texas. In Washington, out of Seattle, Uh, We have an officer who completely beat the everlasting shit out of a woman who was drunk and handcuffed, but he's going to get his job back, even though he had been fired. From the story, it says, quote, A Seattle police officer who was fired for punching a drunk, handcuffed woman in the face during a June 2014 incident captured on patrol car video must be reinstated to his job with back pay. An arbitrator has ruled. Subquote The penalty of discharge for Officer Shepard's offense, after taking into account the various mitigating considerations, was excessive, according to the 35 page written opinion and award by arbitrator Jane Wilkinson issued Tuesday. Shepard's discipline, instead, will be reduced to a 15 day suspension under Wilkinson's ruling, which also ordered the officer be reinstated to a new assignment and receive full back pay. The decision by Wilkinson, the neutral party of a three-member police disciplinary review board, effectively broke a tie on determining whether Shepard's discipline was just. The panel included one member appointed by the city and one member appointed by the Seattle Police Officers Guild. So you read through the story, and what you find out, not only was this woman handcuffed in the back of a patrol car, not only was she intoxicated, but you find out that Shepard is actually a boxer. And he, the punch broke the woman's orbital bone around her eye. Uh, So, you know, the notion that you shouldn't be fired for that boggles my fucking mind. If you're willing to attack someone who is helpless, restrained, and in this case intoxicated, I mean, it's something where you just got to deal with the fact someone's drunk. But the fact that they're handcuffed, you've got the advantage. And you punch them so hard that you break a facial bone. It blows my mind that this guy's going to get reinstated And then on top of that, get four years worth of back pay. It's crazy to me. Uh, so that was out of Washington. In Wisconsin, in Milwaukee, we have both the first and third rules of Fisk. Now remember, the first rule is that police will continue to do dumb shit even when they are being recorded. The third rule is that there are no new stories, just new names and jurisdictions. And what you'll find is that body camera video has been released showing police shooting a compliant and unarmed black man for sport, even though he was not the person they were actually looking for. From the story it says quote the legal team for a man who was unarmed when he was shot by Milwaukee police on a west side rooftop demanded a federal grand jury investigation into the shooting Police body camera video shows Jerry Smith Jr. with his arms and fingers spread and appearing to begin lying face down when he was shot at close range on August 31st of 2017. Smith survived but underwent several surgeries. He was shot in the lower right abdomen and grazed on the right side of his head and will suffer permanent partial paralysis in his right leg, according to a private investigator for attorney, Walter Stern. Stern is representing Smith in a federal civil rights lawsuit filed against officers Adam Stahl and Melvin Finkley, former Milwaukee Police Chief Edward Flynn, and the city. Chief Deputy District Attorney Kent Lovern concluded in June that Stahl and Finkley were justified in using deadly force because they believed Smith was armed or was reaching for a gun behind an air conditioning unit on the roof. No gun was ever found, and Smith, who has no criminal record, was never charged with any crime. Uh, So that is the state-by-state criminal justice fuckery. Every now and again, we do cover stuff in other countries, and over in France, there's currently a protest going on. I don't really fully understand the contours of it. As best I can tell from the reporting, the gas tax is slated to go up. So a lot of the taxi drivers are protesting. They're called yellow vests because that's what they wear as they're doing their taxiing. Well, as part of these protests, uh, it does also include riots, including a lot of burned cars, broken storefronts, and other stuff. And in one particular video, which we're going to give you a link to, it's been released on Twitter. Don't have a lot of information because the tweets are in French and I don't speak French And uh, Google Translate is okay, but not perfect. Basically what you see is a bystander showing uh, two riot police basically forcing this person to the ground as this bystander is recording. And then after these two police get the guy on the ground, six other police, and all these guys are in full riot gear, uh, show up and just start beating and kicking the person while they're there. A seventh one comes up to hit him with a baton a few times. Then an eighth one comes up to try to hit him, but one of the first six starts trying to push the officers back. Uh, and, of course, all of this is on video. The entire thing, start to finish, is on video. So we'll give you a link to that. You can watch it for itself. If any of our listeners are in France, have a link to a news story, I'd be happy to add that to the show notes if you've got it. So, folks, that is going to do it for this particular week. I, I don't know why we're only at an hour. I guess that's a good thing. I probably spoke a little too quickly. Uh, but that is it. So hopefully we will be back again on Monday. If you happen to be one of our patrons, keep an eye on the Patreon account. We will have that episode with Dave and James up at some point once I can finish editing the fucking three tracks that drives me nuts. If you liked what you've heard, please do us a favor and leave us a written review or a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or TuneIn or uh, what's that other one? I can't even see if Mike was here, he would tell me. But whatever that other streaming service is that we just got added to that I forget. Uh, leave us all the reviews. Wherever you listen, leave us a review. We'd greatly appreciate it. Uh, And as always, please have a blessed week, and we'll talk to you next Monday. Take care.